We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, we are going to dive into Titus 2. Before we start reading it, just a disclaimer, I do not have all of the answers. So if you came for the answers, I give you full permission to leave now. Um, This is somewhat of a difficult passage. I'd argue there's probably only two phrases that might be difficult. Or let's say this, two phrases that have been misused, especially if you've grown up in the church in the 80s or 90s, it's probably been misused. Yeah, me too. But let me say this. When Chris first told me I was teaching Titus 2 and I read it, I was like, seriously, dude. But as I've sat with this, as I've sat in God's word, as I've prayed over it, not just in a way of like, how do I teach this, but what does this mean for me and my home and my family? I'm confident the Lord and the Holy Spirit will speak to us this morning. But let's be reminded that we have all of our own stuff. A lot of times we approach scripture and reread scripture to find an answer or to find uh, something to talk about. Or as we're having our daily devotions, things get filtered through our own stuff. So we're always bringing something as we're reading God's word. So my prayer this morning has always been, and it will be this morning, that we're able to see and to hear God's word or how it was intended then, and how it might apply to us today. So let's read Titus 2 together. Again, he, Paul is writing this to Titus as he leads the church in Crete. He says this, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed, because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Slaves are are to submit to their masters in everything and be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating other faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, 
while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May it do its work in us and through us. May you be glorified and your name be honored. It's in your name we pray these things, amen. So as we kind of dive into Titus, we got a lot of things to talk about today. But I want us to remember a movie. You guys remember the movie Shrek? I'm pretty sure everyone's seen Shrek, right? Do you guys remember that part? It's towards the end of the movie where Shrek was, um, Shrek was getting ready to go uh, tell, the, tell the princess, confess his undying love for her. Remember where he's like, he's walking up. She's in this like windmill tower thing and he's got a big old sunflower and he's like practicing like, all right, how am I going to tell her? How am I going to tell her that I love her, right? And then he walks up to this windmill tower and he overhears a conversation between the princess and donkey. And the princess says, all, he, all Shrek hears is the princess saying, oh, donkey, how could anyone love an ugly ogre? And he hears this and he's devastated. That line devastates him and he walks away angry and sad because as he was going to confess his undying love, all he heard was no one could love you. And I want to give us this disclaimer this morning that a lot of times, especially with passages like this, right, or, or 1 Timothy 2 or, or some controversial passages, right, we read this thing and we're approaching this context and we don't know the full context of what's going on. We read this letter, we read these words and it gets filtered through our own stuff where we might hear you're, you're not lovable. We might hear you're only good if you stay home and you're busy at home. We might hear your place is only in the home or having children. We might hear you know, you're not worthy of respect. So let us approach this recognizing that there's a broader context of what's going on here. And we're going to kind of talk about that so that when we approach the windmill and we hear something that might trigger something for us, we have a broader and a, a bigger understanding of what Paul is trying to do in Crete. Because Cretan culture was different. Cretan culture at this time was even a little different than your typical Roman culture, right? Uh, as, uh, as evidenced in some of the inscriptions and laws and poets and writers, that there was this thing called the New Roman Woman at this time. And especially in Crete, even going back to as, as early as 450 BC, right? So as early as the 4th and 5th century BC, Crete, and especially Cretan women, were different than the rest of the world. Uh, a couple books, uh, Roman Wives, Roman Widows, the, the Appearance of New Roman Women 
and the Pauline Communities by Bruce Winter. And another book, Women's Life in Greece and Rome by a man named Lefkowitz. Lefkowitz. Very German name, Lefkowitz. They say that the Cretan women, there was, they had these laws that even the Cretan women were allowed to keep their property, which was rare, right? So if a woman got married, whatever she brought into the marriage, if that marriage ended, she was allowed to keep. And then if they got divorced, whatever they as a couple um, produced together, made together, she was allowed to keep half of it, which was rare, right? So Cretan women kind of uh, had the opportunity. They, were, they had a little more rights and privileges than the rest of the Roman world did. And that was early on. So when Rome kind of moves into Crete, the Cretan women didn't lose all of those rights and privileges. In fact, that was the new Roman woman. As Rome kind of moved in, there were like the women of Rome and, and even the, um, the people in the main Roman city, they were like, yeah, we're not going to do away with all of this in Crete. They did try and formulate some laws that um, limited some of those things. But the Cretan women at this time still had um, more rights and privileges than other women in the known world. And in this time, in this culture, Cretans were known for having parties. Like Chris le- read last week, they were known for being liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, right? According to Epimedes, Epimedes, Epimenides, one of those guys. One of their own prophets. They're lazy, they're gluttonous, they're evil beasts, they're liars. Because this was the culture, right? They would have these parties and everyone was invited. And in, the, in Crete specifically, women were also allowed to be a part of these parties. So it wasn't just the men that were having all of these like extravagant, debaucherous parties. The women were invited into these. And there was a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking of wine, or they called it tipple. Fun fact, where we get our word tipsy is from this time. Because what originated, also originated this time is the, the greeting with a kiss. Because what would happen is men would greet women or their wives with a kiss and smell to see if they've been drinking too much wine. And if they smelled of tip, tipple or wine, they would ask, are you tipsy? That's where we get our word tipsy. So there was just a lot of wine drinking going on, right? Gallons of wine. And at these parties, after they had drank a lot of wine, after they had ate a bunch of food, they would have what was called a after-dinner party. Leave it up to your imagination on what goes on after much drinking and much food with men and women. There are kids in here, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. It was debaucherous, adulterous affairs. That was the culture. 
That was the norm. That men would sleep with other women other than their wives. Women would sleep with other men that were not their husbands. And this was a norm. This is the cultural context that Paul is writing to Titus to lead the church in. The church in Crete had started to look more like the people of Crete than the people of God. Infiltrated by false teachers who were teaching one thing, but participating in these parties as well. So this is the context as we approach Titus 2. That there's this culture of debauchery. There's this culture of lying. There's this culture of evil beasts. And what he's talking about here, evil beasts, beastly means non-human. Acting in a way where you're not even human. You're just acting on your beastly desires to eat whenever you want. To be with the opposite sex whenever you want. Just allowing yourself to fulfill your, your main motivation is just to fulfill your beastly desires, not even human. So this is the, cult, this, the culture, the context that Paul's saying, Titus, you need to do something about this. You need to establish leaders in the church that don't live like this, that are set apart, that are different. You can, the church cannot look like the rest of the culture. So he starts saying, but you are to proclaim these things consistent with sound teaching. So he's saying, hey, Titus, teach these things. Some say sound doctrine, right? Some of your, some of your Bibles will say sound doctrine. But one of the beautiful things about this is when Titus starts this second chapter is he says, proclaim these things that align with sound doctrine. And sound doctrine is not just knowledge. Well, we would think of it as, right? We think of sound doctrine and we automatically go to, okay, we have to have the right doctrine of the Trinity, the right doctrine of salvation, the right doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the right doctrine of atonement. We get all of these ideas and thoughts and theologies in our head when we talk about this. But what does Paul tell Timothy? He says, proclaim these things which are according to sound doctrine. And then he goes on to say, this is how you live. He doesn't list off all of these doctrines. Proclaim these things that align with sound doctrine like this, according to the doctrine of the Trinity, like this, according to the doctrine of salvation. He says, no, live this way. So right off the bat, Paul's saying, hey, it's not about knowing the right thing. Knowing the right thing is important. Don't hear me say that I'll just throw out doctrine and theology. Those are important. But they're important in as much as they affect how we live. We can have all of the right doctrine or theology. But how we live our lives will negate all of that knowledge if it's not filled with love, 
faith and endurance. And so he's saying, Paul is saying, hey, it is good to know these things. It is good to have sound doctrine. In chapter one, he just said, hey, there's some, there's some people in the church that are teaching false doctrines. They're teaching false things. You need to correct them. So you need to know these things, Titus. But you need to teach the people how to live these things out. What does it look like to live out your theology as the people of God? So this is what he does. Verse two and three. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. So Paul, here's what Paul does. Paul takes liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons and he immediately contrasts it with how we should be living as the people of God. He say, instead of being liars, older men, be worthy of respect. This Greek word here is semnos, which means venerated for your character, honorable. Instead of being a liar that is praised in this culture, You, older men, men of God, be worthy of respect, be venerated for your character, be honorable. Instead of being evil beasts and giving into your beastly desires and cravings, be self-controlled. The Greek word here is sophron, which means to curb one's desires or impulses. Instead of just giving in to these beastly desires, have self-control. Curb your desires or impulses. Instead of being lazy gluttons, be temperate, which the Greek word here is nephalias. Refrain from excess wine. So he immediately contrasts the cultural ideal, the cultural norm for older men and says, no, you're not to be like this. You're to live like this. Then he goes into older women. Older women, likewise. So just like I said to the older men, just like how I just contrasted liars, evil beasts, and gluttons with being worthy of respect, self-controlled, and temperate. Likewise, I'm going to do the same thing for the older women. Older women, instead of being liars, don't slander. Which the Greek word here, diabolos, slanderous or falsely accusing others. Don't be liars. Don't falsely accuse others. Don't be slanderous. Instead of being evil beasts and giving in to your beastly desires, be reverent in behavior. Here, the Greek word, I'm going to attempt this. There's this thing, there's this blue letter Bible that you can click on the word and it'll, it'll tell you how to say it in Greek. I still don't, I, yeah, we're going to attempt this. 
hieroprepas, which Paul uses two words here. Hieros, which means consecrated to God, and prepo, which means befitting. So it's not just it's not just be irreverent in behavior. Instead of being evil beasts, he goes, it's not, we translate it reverent in behavior, but what it literally means in the Greek is befitting as one consecrated to God. You have been consecrated to God through Jesus. Act like it. Be reverent in your behavior to God and to others. So instead of being evil beasts, your behavior should be befitting of one who has been consecrated to God. Instead of being lazy gluttons, older women, you are not to be enslaved to too much wine. Which the Greek word here, doulao, literally means enslaved to or wholly given over to. Your life just revolves around drinking wine. You might know some people like this, right? So you get up, instead of coffee, it's a glass of, might be a Bloody Mary or a glass of wine. Just, your life just revolves around drinking. So again, here's what Paul is doing. Here's what Paul is trying to do in his letter to Titus in the second chapter. Right away, he's saying, hey, this is the culture you live in. These are the waters that you swim in. Like a fish in water, it is hard to recognize the waters that we swim in. Paul's saying, hey, this, your own people say this is what your culture is like. Your own people say this is who you are. You, church, be different. You're not to live like this. You're to live as one consecrated to God. So Paul's contrasting the two. He's saying the Cretan people are liars, evil beasts, and lazy guttons, but for you, church, you are to live wholly different. You're not to give in to your selfish, self-centered, beastly lusts and desires. You're to be self-controlled and reverent in your behavior. Teach the older men and women this so that they can display this new way of living to the younger men and to the younger women. Because younger men and younger women were a part of these parties, right? 18-year-old men, they'd have this toga ceremony. And right after that, they could be included in, and participate in all of these parties. So you'd have older women. 18-year-old kid shows up to this party after you've had a lot of wine there's a lot of older women seducing younger men. Older men, older women, live in such a way that you give an example to the younger men and women of what it's like to follow after Jesus in a culture that says, no, live this way. In a culture that says, it's okay to lie, to get what you want. It's okay to manipulate to get to fulfill your selfish desires. It's okay to give in to your beastly desires. It's part of being human. It's okay to be lazy and gluttonous. Older men and women, 
how do we set an example for our kids, for our youth, for our young adults that says, it might seem culturally that that's the best way to live. Let me show you the best in Jesus. He goes on to say for the older women in verses four and five, he says this. So older women do this. You are to teach what is good. Here the word teach in the Greek, it's not just like impart knowledge. It's not just like, this is the way you need to live. It, It has this sense of more of like, calling them back to their senses. So again, like, hey, this is not who you are. This is not who God says you are. This is no longer your identity. This is no longer okay. Calling them back to what is good, right, and beautiful. He says this, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. All right, up front. We probably all agree, like there's probably only two things that really trigger or that have been misused in the church. I think we could all agree that we want to live in such a way that teaches young women how to love their husbands. That's a good thing. Love their children. Self-controlled, Paul's already gone into that. The reason why you need to be self-controlled is set apart and different. Pure, kind. I think the two phrases that have been misused and abused in the church in general is workers at home and submission to your husband's. has been used in a way, uh, I think, especially in the 80s and 90s and the church has been used in a way as kind of a, um, as kind of its form of rebuke towards feminism. The church kind of felt like they had to swing way to the other side. And in doing that, have misused God's word have approached scripture in a way to get an answer instead of understanding the context that it's written in and who Paul is writing to. Because let's kind of break this down. Busy at home. Again, Paul combines two words here that he doesn't do in any other, other, this, this word only shows up here in Titus 2. So the word, the Greek word is oikorgos, which is two words. Oikos, which means home or family. It means the family unit in verse or in chapter one of Titus, he uses oikos. And this is what he's talking about, the family, right? In verse one, or no, chapter one, verse 11, he says, it is necessary to silence them they are running entire household, ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't, right? So it's an entire household. It's a family. So he combines oikos, a household or a family, and oros, 
which is a guard or guardian. So what our translations say, busy at home, literally in the Greek means a guardian of your family. So it's not, hey, stay home, sweep, mop, the dishes better be done by the time I get home, I better have a meal on the table. It's not that. In fact, it's this elevated position of guard your family. Guard your family from the false teachings of these teachers. Guard your family from the cultural norms that are invading the church. Guard your family from the lies and the deception of the enemy. So it's not stay at home in your places at home and be busy. Instead, older women are given the responsibility to guard your home, to guard your family. Obedient or subject to their husbands. This word obedient, hypotasso, is the same word used in, in uh, later on when he's talking to the slaves, submit to their masters. In this context, it means to yield to one's admonition or advice or place oneself under the authority of another. It's a humility choice to live under the rule and reign of somebody else. To take their advice and say yes. Weigh it against the word of God, not just whatever they say goes, but it's to live in admonition, yield to one's admonition or advice. It's a choice to listen and obey the advice of your husband. What we have done is take this verse about what it looks like to live as a contrast community in this culture and have given men freedom to demand or order their wives to obey without giving men the same responsibility. It's a choice. One thing that uh, in this verse, as I was reading the Greek, that's not in here is that Paul uses idios, the Greek word idios, one's own. So it's not just submission to their husbands, but it's submission to their own husbands. So again, context culture, in a world where women have, get to keep all of their property if they get divorced, they had some power and leverage, where they were participating in these parties and these after dinners with full knowledge of their husbands, right, sleeping around, having affairs, doing these things. What Paul is saying is, hey, Go back to your husband. Stop doing this. Live with your own husband. Again, it's not about 
manipulating or controlling women during this day. It's how do you live as a contrast community in this culture? Paul's saying in a culture where women have some freedom, power to eat and drink and attend the after-dinner party, he shows those people that they were worshiping at the God of self by living in a different way. Instead of abandoning your children at home to be raised by the servants or other family members, instead of drinking too much wine and also participating in these adulterated affairs, choose to love your own husband and not other men. Listen to him and not other men. Guard your home and your family by being faithful to and listening to and loving your own husband, not other men. You see, freedom in Christ does not mean freedom to live however we want. That's why he admonishes slaves even in this time, submit to your masters. You have been freed in Christ. That freedom does not necessarily release you to do whatever you want to do. But it does free you to live in God's kingdom as a new humanity, to be a display to the world and culture around us, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to do this on our own. Older men and older women are to model this to younger men and younger women. We need the gift of one another to sometimes alert us to the waters that we're swimming in. Again, oftentimes we don't know. We don't know where we've compromised the truth of the gospel with cultural norms. We need older men and women in our community both teaching the truths of Scripture and modeling in life, word and deed, what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I love that we have older men and women teaching our kids, older women and older men teaching our youth, but not just teachers but modeling for our youth and for our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus. An example is I was taking one of our uh, cohort youth driving this last week uh, so she can get her license. Um, It's been a while in in the works for a while, and she is going to take her driver's test on Friday. So I've been taking her last week to drive to get her back into the rhythm of driving so it's not so scary. And she said this to me, I think on the second day we were driving. She said, I have learned different things from you, Chris, Bethany, and Aaron. So we've all taken this girl out driving. And she said this, I have learned different things from each of you. Now I feel like I understand driving better, not just how to drive. I was like, I'm using that in my sermon on Sunday. The gift that each of us have brought, the gift of trying to teach someone differently with different words, different vocabulary, modeling to this girl grace and patience. She said, I don't necessarily, I understand 
the concept of driving better, not just how to do it right. That is what we're called to, church. To live lives in and among community and others so that they understand what the word of God is. They understand who this Jesus is. They understand what it means to follow Jesus. They understand what it looks like to obey him. Because the reality of it is, if we are living differently, we are gonna be different. And that's scary. And that's hard, especially for kids and youth who want so bad to fit in, especially for us who want so bad to fit in. It's scary to look at the culture and look at the world around us and say, I'm not supposed to live, I'm supposed to live wholly different. I'm gonna stand out. I'm gonna face persecution. I'm gonna face not being invited to something because they're like, eh, they go to church, they're not gonna wanna do that. We have this fear of missing out on something. Fear of, man, that looks fun though. (laughs) What everybody else, what all of my friends, what, what the culture is doing, it looks fun. And yet us as older men and women know that those brief, um, those brief times we give in to those beastly and lustly desires, the price for those things is a lot. <coughs> so we have the, the, the life and the wisdom of saying, young men and women, it's not worth the cost. And as we wrap up here, we are formed by God in sound doctrine and teaching together in community, but it is for the sake of the gospel and others. Jesus calls us to live as the new humanity, not just so we can be different or anti-culture, But Jesus calls us to live as the new humanity so that the word of God will be revealed, will be cherished, will be seen as true. Jesus calls us to live as the new humanity so that others may see our lives, may hear our words, and see our good deeds and ask why. Why do you live like this? A.W. Tozer says this. I have a quote from him. He says, the purpose of good works, the purpose of living a wholly different life isn't to change us or to save us. It is the demonstration of the change within us. Doing good things isn't so that it will change something in us. It is the evidence of the changes that has already taken place in us. See, Titus goes on, or Paul goes on to say to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We are to live this way, church. We are to live as a contrast community, not for our own sake, not for standing out, not just to fight against the man and to be anti-culture, not to separate ourselves from culture and completely withdraw from it and have no 
participating in it. It is to be a contrast community. It is to be good news. It is to live out the truth of the gospel for all people. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. How do we live our lives in our family? How do we live our lives with our kids in our singleness? How do we live our lives at work? in such a way that displays the good news, the gift of salvation is available to them, where they are invited in to participate in this good news. Another quote from Leslie Newbegin says this, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. The truth is, is we can't live like this on our own. If it were up to us without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, it'd be easier to give in to what the culture says is okay than to stand out and live as a different people. How are we exemplifying the good, right, and beautiful gift of God's salvation to us? And how do we do that? How do I know when like doing this is okay and doing this is not okay, right? How do I know like, well, so how much wine do I drink? Where it becomes now it's not self-control, right? Or how do I love my husband? How do I love my wife? How do I love my kids in such a way that is good news? One, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Because there's nothing in me, like, especially on a day where I wake up, at the time where I was supposed to leave, there ain't loving anybody at that point. Ask yourself this. This is kind of what I've been sitting in. What will the new creation be like? What will the new creation be like? And how do I live in such a way that displays what that is going to be like? We're not going to get that perfect. But that is why Jesus came to show us what it would look like. You have heard it said, but I say to you, in Matthew. He has shown us what it looks like to live as the new humanity in God's good creation. One of the things I started this week, and we're going to end with this, is I started to kind of, I made two columns. And I started, so this might be homework. I started with what culture says is okay. And then the other side, I, I wrote down what it would look like to live as the new humanity in that culture. So one of the, the things in our culture, individualism, right? Hyper-individualism, as some say, where everything just gets filtered through self and the individual. Everything's about me. I get to choose what is good, right, and beautiful for me. I get to choose those things. 
What does it look like to live as the Christian community in light of individualism? Instead of saying, I get to choose what is good, right, and beautiful for me, community, Christian community thinks primarily through the lens of others. I want what is good, right, and beautiful for my family, for my friends, coworkers, and church. I'd encourage you to do that this week because what Titus 2 tells us and encourages us to do is to live in such a way where the culture, the community, our neighbors around us say, why, why do you do it like that? Or why do you say those things? Or why don't you do those things? How are you able to have self-control? How are you able to love your wife or your husband or your kids that way? How are you so patient? Why did you say you're sorry? It's your kid. You're always right. Why, do you so, why are you so humble? Why do you look to other people's needs? Live in such a way that it provokes the question for which the gospel is the answer. Let's pray.